talk who decided to show up. Oh, it's me, Father Anthony. <laughs> it's a it's me. A me. <laughs> oh it's my good goodness. To have, it's good to have you back. It's good to be back. I'm excited. I'm excited to uh, to run this show topic. I got I got calls lined up. I'm ready to rumble. Which I appreciate because I still haven't figured out how to access the voicemail or anything. So Don't worry. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this works without you being able to. Yeah, you, I have no anyway, prep at all. No prep. Anyways. It's gonna look it's gonna look great. It's gonna look great in uh, Final production, producer Nick's gonna crush it. So basically, uh, two weeks ago, I got the COVID, and uh, it's surprising. I, I have a new theory. I have a new theory, uh, and it's not so much that masks don't work. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But the thing is, COVID chooses you. That's the only way I can explain. It just, it's just like an election. An ignition when it's election. your time, it's your time because. So we had a big office party, uh-huh. and I was didn't have any symptoms. Uh-huh. And the next day, I started to get symptoms. Uh-huh. And then the day after that, I was like, "Oh, this is bad." And when I was talking to the, the doctor, they're like, "Were you doing anything like two days beforehand?" I'm like, "Well, there was a big office party." I'm like, "You?" And they said, "You would have been contagious." Two weeks later, no one else got it. No one. Yep. I mean, we were all hanging out around the same table. We were, it was actually a great time. Yeah. Uh, we were having some drinks, doing a white elephant thingy. It was just a great time. We have a lovely staff. But like, no one else got it. Ridiculous. It's uh, it just, it's, it, it's obvious, isn't it? What? Um, COVID only exists for you. I guess so. Really, the world only exists for me, so this I mean, makes this sense. Is true. This is true. It was it was time in the narrative that rules the universe, which is the narrative of my life. Uh, so anyway, that happened. So basically, for me, it was the worst sore throat I've ever had mm-hmm. for like three, four days. Yeah. Um, so much so that like, so whenever I would sneeze, mm-hmm. like I would, I things mm-hmm. would get dark for a second. It was mm-hmm. so painful. Uh, and yep. for like two days afterwards, every time I felt like I had to sneeze, I got like mild PTSD. It was real. Like my throat was all. <laughs> Um, we need to get St. Blaze on that for you. I know time. I should have. Instead, I destroyed my liver by just like gulping down ibuprofen. Uh, <laughs> just I was just chugging, chugging Dayquil, like just just crunching Stick on ibuprofen. Nom, 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 nom. <laughs> <laughs> after four days, I felt better, and yeah. I have no other symptoms yeah. despite the cough I just had. It's also just boring. Uh, no, you're, you're stuck in your room. You can't go anywhere. Yeah. So they had me quarantined for ten days, even though it's like five. Whatever. Really? We, oh. we got a lot of old people. So anyway, so that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's over. Thank God, it's over. And I'm very thankful, you know, it could have been, a lot of people have had it worse than me. So great, overdone. And then my pastor and uh, the other broker vicar, we decided to take a last second trip down to the March for Life. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden he's like, hey, do you want to go? And I was like, well, you know, how often do you get to do anything like that with your pastor and the parochial vicar? Because even though we live in the same house, we try to eat dinner together once in a while, we have our meetings and stuff, you don't get to spend time like that. I'm like, this is really important. I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And that's when you recorded your, you know, conveniently. Uh, and that was a great time, Harrison. Like, Dude. we drove four hours down there talking, joking, yep. things spiritual, things not spiritual. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got together our Holy Week schedule because we're all in the car. <laughs> and we just, so we just got together that confirmation schedule, all this nice. stuff done. Nice. And um, we went to the Vigil Mass, which itself was uh, quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. Not as many people, not as many priests. You, the whole top how, how was church. the light show outside? Uh, okay, so <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, uh, yeah, right. Don't worry, people. We'll get context if you haven't heard this yet. Uh, but like, so the top church was filled, still a lot of people, still a beautiful mass. Mm-hmm. Um, and right afterwards we were done. 
and we ran out of there to grab something to eat. Mm-hmm. So we were there when the quote unquote Catholics for choice projected these images on the basilica saying one out of four Catholics gets an abortion that's you know the abortion's great and we're Catholic and stuff and one I mean whatever projector they had was incredibly impressive mm-hmm. because they just lit up <coughs> that one like, tower yeah, those, those building projector thingies yeah yeah mm-hmm. and so whatever but the the best thing about it so that happened that's sad uh, but uh, well, who's the bishop of DC? Was it Bishop Lori? No, it's um, um, Lori preached. Gregory, maybe. no, Gregory. Yeah, um, Wilton Gregory. Yeah, Wilton Gregory. His his short response to it, <clears throat> yeah, was the most brilliant. Oh snap! Fatherly, also Catholic reproach of this activity ever. And what was that? It was just okay. So I, <sighs> you have to look look it up, guys, because it's really it's oh, great. it's the one he put online. Yeah, yeah. Which was basically saying uh, the true voice of the church was found in the basilica. And basically these people revealed that they're outside the church by their actions because they were literally outside the church and they yeah. did this at night. And they something quotes, those inside the church were also the true light or something like that? Yeah, the true light inside the church, you know, that's the voice of the church. The people who are praying for the unborn, praying for the mothers, praying for our country. The ones outside were also outside the church, even though they claimed to be Catholic. He says they did this at night. And then he quotes scripture verse of Judas leaving the table at the Oof. Last Supper at the very end. It's Oof. like, oh, oh. it was it short, yeah. theological, sacramental. Yeah, here's, here's the uh, like, okay, yeah, 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 here it is. Those whose antics projected words on the outside of the church building demonstrated by those pranks that they really are external to the church and did so at night. John 1330. And it's from, it says, he therefore having received the morsel went out the media and it was night. The true voice of the church was only to be found within the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception that last evening. There people prayed and offered life, the Eucharist, asking God to restore a true reverence for all human life. I just oh. wish, I wish all oh. bishop responses could be that pithy and dope. Like that John that 13, 30 thing, that's the, oh. Brutal, Ooh. but true. So like, it was, that was just Boom. like, you know what? Bishop, you get a gold star for that one. Thank you. I feel cared for by that response. Uh, super cool. cool. Uh, I, mean, yeah. I mean, the situation itself is very sad. These yeah, people yeah, yeah. are very misguided. Yeah, yeah, Who yeah. knows what's going on with them? Yeah. Pray for them. Yeah, we're not, like, we're not rejoicing. We shouldn't be rejoicing in him owning them per se. It's just, but it is. It's a, it is quite a response. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that yeah. all happened. We yeah. left. We drove back. And now finally... Uh, no, no, no. So oh, we, we stayed over at a hotel. Yeah. Okay. One more thing about this. So we, we got a hotel for one night. You mm-hmm. know, we all paid for our hotel room. You know, we just got our own hotel rooms. So we paid for it. And one of the people who works at our uh, the parish is like, well, aren't you going to, why wouldn't you just stay at a rectory in D.C.? Mm-hmm. And I was like, do you want to go down to D.C. and stay at a stranger's house? And if you knew someone, sure. Okay, if I knew someone. Also, two yeah. things. It was last second. But also, there's this thing, and like I don't think it's on purpose, that like rectories aren't your home. They're just the police, place where the priest goes when he's done with mass. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm not going to go to a stranger's home and stay there. Do you want to? Or even like an acquaintance. I'm just going to spend the money. Yeah. I do have some money. I'm going to spend it on a hotel. Chill. Yeah. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But the point is, yes. I'm back for this episode. Of clerically speaking. 
Welcome to Cleric Speaking. I'm Father Anthony. I'm Father Harrison. No, it's good to have you back. I mean, I, you know, obviously I, I carried the weight for a while. As it, you it was, did, it, and it was light. The weight, it was light because the burden was easy. Yeah, would the you say? Was easy because I mean, I have no problem talking. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was good. It was good to have. I saw and I saw the list of a few guests I want to bring on eventually here. So it mm-hmm. was kind of it kind of worked out well in that sense because uh, yeah, we had Nick. We, no, Nick was the week you had COVID. Yes. Right? Which was great. That was the first time Nick and I got to do something together. Yeah, so I was glad you guys got to do that. It was really cool to, to, to play with that. And then um, and then I, I was going to do a bonus episode. Like we, The plan was the bonus episode with Matt. Um, yeah. But then you're like, uh, actually, I forgot about the Smart for Life thing. So, yeah. Uh, Oopsie. Oops. And I'm like, well, then I guess it's this week episode. So that was really cool. So And it was uh, a second Australian guest. We are truly international, you know? We are truly international. But uh, no, it's good to have you back. And um, just a few, you know, a few things on my end. No, things are actually, um, things are, excuse me, things are pretty good actually right now. Um, January, I don't know what it's like for you. I find, I don't know if it's just this year or I'm realizing more. January tends to be slower in a parish. Mm. I'm kind of grateful for it. Like, yeah. November, December were uber stressful for like numerous reasons. Um, and actually like it got weird with my meds too for ADHD. Learned that high stress times bad mm. for all day meds. Mm, um, interesting. So I had to go like it got really weird for a bit. So I actually had to go off them for a few weeks and which was tough because like I start you start it's funny, it's like you're on there like, is this stuff working? You go off and like, yeah. oh yeah, it works. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm, uh, my doctor's been really good. I said, I just want flexibility. Like maybe I need just a four hour dose. Some days mm. I might need all day. Like today I've been using it all day. I crack inbox zero on my work email. <laughs> no, um, no text messages left unread. Beautiful. I just have to get through my personal email and my DMs on Twitter. And then I'm all caught up on those communication lines, which is huge. So the new meds are working, obviously, which yes. is great. And it just gives me flexibility. My my, uh, my psychology, psychiatrist friend suggested that in high stress times, a lower dosage might be a good idea. Because it just it creates, it creates a sudden anxiety in me when it's high mm-hmm. stress. The stress mixes weirdly with the stress chemicals or whatever. Mixes mm-hmm. weirdly with the drugs. So these are lessons you learn. Um yeah. So, and then I kind of, it was weird. I had three exposures to COVID last week and one of them was like a six hour exposure in someone's home. Yep. Like I was just in their home and they all got it. Um, Thursday I started getting like a really itchy throat mm-hmm. and I was getting a little fatigued. And I like when I was eating stuff, I'm like, wait, that feels and tastes a little weird. Uh Oh, so I decided to isolate myself right away. Took a, t- took a test. It was negative, but mm-hmm. I was like, I was super mild, but I was like, yeah, I had three exposures and I just said to myself, I think it's best to err on the side of caution. Sure. And so we had a, we had a communion service this weekend. That was the hard thing. Cause I'm the only priest here. Yeah. So if I have to not be there, like there's no mass for the weekend, which is really tough. That weighs on you as a priest. Like, and mm-hmm. I'm like, if this was like a normal time, I would have been there. Like I was totally functional. I didn't really like, but I was like, but the throat's a little itchy and like, not yeah. no, and then not in a normal way. Mm-hmm. And that fatigue is hitting for a few days. And then it was kind of gone. So I think it was also those exposures happened about a week and a half to two weeks after I got my booster. So I'm wondering maybe the booster helped. Boosted you? Boosted me, you know? So maybe I got, I don't know. That's the hard mm-hmm. thing. I, I don't actually know if it was it or not. It. I mean, it, it's, it's, this whole thing is just, just 
constantly yes. confusing. Yes. But I'm glad you're healthy now. That's so I'm good. healthy, so that's good. And then, uh, um, but I just want to say again, so I'm excited to go to Scotland this summer, July 20th to 30th with Haley and Daniel Stewart. Haley from... Uh, uh, her, from her podcast Fountain of Carrots uh, Fountain of Carrots I was like Carrots why am I forgetting the first part thank you Fountains of Carrots uh, her you know she's got her books and her Instagram and she's out there she's out there and mm-hmm. Daniel actually works at a distillery which is yeah. amazing and Father Ryan Higdon is their pastor in Waco Texas mm-hmm. and they asked mm-hmm. me to tag along for the ride too they thought I would have some fun with it as well so it's July 20th to 30th um, it's with select tours so you can go to select tours, put in Haley's name, be the easiest way to find it. You'll see the Scotland trip there. We're going to Loch Ness. We're going to all these castles. We're in the Isle of Leigh. We're going to like That's seven cool. distilleries. You want to, you want to come? Okay. So here's the thing. Here's a short story. So when I, she first started advertising that on Twitter months ago, I jumped into her DMs and I was like half joking Yeah. because I didn't even know if this would work. My schedule I was like, Hey, I'm your priest. I'll do it. You know, do you got a yeah. spot for a priest? And she was like, um, I could hear the hesitation in her voice over a, a Twitter DM. And she's like, actually, Father Harrison's the one who's, who's, who's going. And I was like, that jerk, that Canadian swooped in on his goose. He's going to fly all the way to but, Scotland and do all the fun things without me. But, but you could come and then you, we could, you know, you're going to do my parish mission, which you always get like a stipend for. So you can put yes. it towards that. There's, it's true. There's all it's sorts true. of little ways we can help get you there. We'll see. Let's look at my calendar. So I'm calendar. very busy priest. So am I. I know. But yeah. But this summer is probably going to be our first summer after two years where we could truly properly travel. That would be good. And, and, then and you also, could go to like, Italy before or afterwards, maybe you know. Maybe go to the homeland. Maybe uh, when I can celebrate, I'll just say my parts really loudly, to throw you off, um, <laughs> and just liturgically slowly mess with you the entire time. I'll just get you. Uh, a, I'll just hand you a glass of scotch, and you'll just be quiet. <laughs> that mess. Like, hey, we don't need you to celebrate. Go drink over here for a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just think about it. But anyways, but the cool thing is, so from February first to eighteenth. Select Tours is offering a $350 discount on the trip. They're, I think they're offering it for most of their trips as a celebration of their 35th anniversary. These tour companies never do this. Mm-hmm. So Select Tours, you can email the podcast and they'll forward it to me so we can, if you're if you're looking for more information. Um, yeah, that would be cool. And then the book is, it's been really weird to see. Like yeah. It's like showing up on Twitter all the time and seeing the very kind work. For me, the, the greatest compliment, there's two great compliments. One is, when someone underlines or comments and writes in their book, mm-hmm. that is, as an author, for me at least, is the greatest of compliments. Yeah. But um, for the other one is seeing that seminarians and priests are buying it. Yeah. Because That's they cool. study theology. They've yeah. studied theology. You know, they've read far greater writers than me. And, that you know, it's a, quite an honor that they would want to do that. So I'm very grateful so it's been cool to see um we did we did have a contest on twitter and actually a oh, fan of the show happen? yes so this happened i need to get back to him he's on my to-do list on my uh, uh neil <laughs> maxwell from you from from twitter won the giveaway for the book so he's gonna get a kind of half hour hangout with the whole clerically speaking crowd oh, fun we were gonna do that i gotta organize that with him but uh yeah, so God bless him, and uh, we'll fi- we gotta figure out a giveaway on the podcast somehow. We'll figure this out for next time. We'll we'll have him record a message for the podcast. The best theological emergency that is submitted in the next week, two weeks. Okay, I don't know. Would, yeah, 
they are next going week. To, no, no, next, next week. week. Okay. You get a week to do it. Well, podcast drops we Friday. If drops on Friday. Okay, sorry. Podcast drops on Friday. So you have until Tuesday to get a theological emergency in. And those who have the best sacramental theological emergency, mm-hmm. we're going to just throw a little theme on there, will win a cop- free copy of the book. Hands All right, I like and it. We'll, there we go. There we go. There we go. On the spot giveaway. Okay, I like that. That'll work. Yeah. But it's been really cool. It's been fun to do, yeah. and, and people are reading it and uh, trying to get, I guess, got to get better at getting the word out. So if you like, if you would like a copy, you can get it on Amazon, obviously. Uh, you can get it at the Pauline Books bookstore on their website and in canada hopefully it'll be on amazon here in february so please be patient it's very expensive to ship in canada so anyway i've talked too much uh you do know one more priest who bought your book and it arrived at his house a few days ago it's father anthony your favorite co-host started perusing the book and even used one of your points in the homily yes your point about god withdrawing himself after the fall so that we don't use him I had never thought of it that way. Like, that's brilliant. I literally used that in a homily to talk about. So I was like, wow, yeah. Nice. I thought I knew, I thought I knew everything Harrison knew, but <laughs> he still, still has more to teach me. I do what the f- best part is. I forgot I said that in the book. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just a little snippet. Just like a little paragraph. And I was like, oh, snap. I'm going to use that. <laughs> nice. Oh, snap. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you still have more to teach me because you have more to teach a lot of people because we have a theological emergency. Bum, bum, bum. Thank you for calling Clerically Speaking. If this is truly a theological emergency, please dial one at any time. Hi, I flushed my goldfish down the toilet and I wanted to know, is that a sin? Theological emergency. We'll take your call at 412-912-7995. I don't know how that's going to sound on the microphone as I like ate my mic. Alrighty, let's see here. We've got a few theological emergencies. We'll see how many we get through. Alright, our first theological emergency comes from John from St. Paul, Minnesota. We'll play it now. Hi, Father Harrison and Father Anthony. This is John calling from St. Paul, Minnesota. And I am wondering... Uh, I, to my knowledge, why have you never had a deacon on the show? There are, I believe, three degrees of holy orders. And I'm pretty sure that there has been a bishop on the show, and I'm pretty sure there have been priests on the show. Uh, so let's get some deacons on the show. I think that would be great. Talk to you later. Everything you do is great. God bless. Bye. So I've got a question. You asked me a question. John from Minnesota because this message sounds off John from Minnesota if that is your real, real name. name it's I mean John level with me are you a deacon are you a deacon trying to get on this show because it sounds like this was sent by a deacon in which case shame on you shame on you for just advertising yourself like that trying to be all slick John from Minnesota. Ooh, what about the deacons? Yeah. Okay, so first of all, I don't trust you, John. And I'm <laughs> insulted by your question. Because you know who puts on the content for this podcast? We do. All right? Now, that all being said, very seriously, one deacon I would very much like to have on the show uh, one day is Deacon James Keating. He's a uh, theologian that I met when I was at uh, IPF and taking classes. It's basically a pre-summer spirituality school. Mm-hmm. And uh, what got me, this is before 
this was just when I was falling in love with Rat- Ratzinger. Mm-hmm. He, in one of his classes, he was saying, you know, guys, you're, you know, diocesan priests, you're not going to be studying full time. So pick one theologian, one that you really gravitate to. And so I asked him, so what's your theologian? He's like, for me, if you're going to pick one, it's going to be Ratzinger. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you have to have him on. Like, he's already yeah. over. Yeah, he is. He's a brilliant guy. Yeah. Um, so maybe him. So uh, cool. I don't know. If, if any of you know Deacon James Keating, if De- Deacon James, if you uh, if you listen to this podcast, let, let us know. That's one Deacon I'd love to have so, on. Basically, the real contra. reason, yeah, there's, there's the real said, reason is because I don't have a lot of Deacon guests I would like to have on. There's like only we, so much facial hair that can be on one podcast, really. Mm-hmm, that's um, true. If you get but, another mustache, who knows yeah. what will happen. But said Contra, mm-hmm. you never lose your order of deacon when you're ordained a priest that's true and a bishop has the fullness of orders so really a deacon has always been on the show yeah so don't you feel dumb now john from minnesota <laughs> hmm? yeah so if you want to leave a message Poor you're john, entering the, be like this is yeah, the worst podcast in the world that's right john you entered the thunderdome you didn't know what you were getting into <laughs> father Anthony always warning. gets spicy at night now, I forgive you because you said literally everything we do is great, and that's undeniable. So so thanks for listening. Thanks for being yes. a fan of the show. There you go. There you go. So, uh, <laughs> Harrison, I'm just going to throw you another one. Okay. And I'll let you take this away uh, first. Okay. Yeah, this is an anonymous lay person. Uh, today is the feast day of St. Anthony the Great, and the communion antiphon from Matthew somewhere says, if you would be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and follow me, says the Lord. I have to say, this verse has troubled me since my conversion, because I want to, but also I have kids to support. How am I to understand this? I would appreciate any thoughts on the matter. Thanks. So, mystery person or not mystery person, um, mm-hmm. that, you know, here's the thing, it's, it was a word, the beautiful thing about scripture is that it has a literal sense, obviously, but it also has a spiritual sense. So in St. Anthony, for example, like this, this is used for the antiphon for that day because St. Anthony heard this passage at mass and acted on it and went and did this because the Holy Spirit moved him. Like this is obviously the vocation that God had in mind for St. Anthony, pure and simple. But, um, but not everyone is asked to live that radical poverty per se, right? It's Jesus's command is for, they can, even when Jesus kind of gives this command to the rich young man, it's to this, he doesn't, does he say this to the apostles? No, he's saying this to this particular person. And so God puts it on the heart of particular people to live the, the council, the evangelical council of poverty in this special way. But it's, it's, it's part of the, it's what we, yeah, we call it part of the evangelical councils, which is a call in that kind of lived sense of celibacy, poverty, chastity, poverty, chastity, obedience, it's only for particular people, but it doesn't mean like one is better than the other. It's just in terms of like living at us personally, it's, we live our state of life as a married person, as a priest, as religious to seek out holiness. And so, mm-hmm. um, we hear that word, but it also should at the same time where, what it should do is leave us into a certain sense of dispossession in this life where, we don't try to gather up things for ourselves, but that we should always have that sense of poverty in the sense of always looking out for those who are in need. But there's also just the poverty of looking after when your kids are waking up at 3 a.m. That's there's a poverty that you are serving really and truly. And that's a beautiful thing too. You, you often, I think married people don't realize they often live out the evangelical councils just in a very different way. Um, 
because none of your money's in New York anyways. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, so yeah, it's, it's a word that Jesus speaks to a particular person in the gospel and he does speak it to particular people. He, he doesn't, he's never universalized the command, but he does universalize evangelization, holiness, but that particular call to evangelical poverty, he only asks of a select few. Yes. And I'll just add one thing that the select few, it's not just for them. Right. Their example is for the entire community. So I think to myself, you know, when like whether or not I should buy another set of Dungeons and Dragons dice and I look at my bank account, I'm like, I can, but you know what? St. Anthony of the Desert gave away all this stuff. Maybe I can put aside buying yet another site of Dungeons and Dragons dice. You know, it's a silly example, but it's, it's to show us that it's to remind us that ultimately Christ is sufficient. So whatever state of life you're in with Christ, you can do it. Amen. All right. Let's do, let's do one more. This one's pretty intense. Okay. You ready for intense one? Yeah. I want to do one more, uh, because I, we got so many guys. I love this because all of yours are great. We're not going to get to all of them, but we're going to try to keep running through them. Uh, but this is, it was, it was fun for me to listen to them. Thanks for actually calling in and everything. I love this thing. Okay. Hey, Jacob here. Okay, so bishops covered up sexual abuse committed by clerics for fear of scandal. I found out that scandal is actually a sin the catechism defines. It's tempting someone to do evil. So bishops were afraid that making the abuse known would tempt the public to commit the evil of not practicing the Catholic faith. And covering up, however... Bishops committed the sin of lying by acting against the truth of the situation to lead the public into the error of thinking that clerics were not sexually abusing people. Obviously, the bishops should not have covered up the abuse. So my question is, does this mean that God willed the bishops to commit the sin of scandal instead of the sin of lying? And you're going to say, no, God doesn't will people to sin. And that's nice, but I still don't see how the conditions for the sin of scandal wouldn't be met here. Help me find the error in my logic. Thanks. Bye. Jacob, great question, and I am so excited to help you find the error in your logic. Uh, <laughs> the error in your logic is that you're using scandal in different senses of the word. Am I correct, Father Harrison? Is that what you yeah, see as well? Yeah, because I think when I don't when we say well, a uh, I actually haven't heard any bishops say that this is why they did this. Right. I mean, like okay, you know, like yeah. like so we have to be careful, but but also like I think it's more like the notion of scandal in the sense of like more of a media media savvy sense of the word. Like we got to control the situation. Yeah. So you there's know? two senses of scandal yeah. here, um, and I think it's fair to assume that yeah, some bishops didn't want to cause a ruckus, uh, a shock to the diocese by revealing these things. So maybe you know that's but like mm-hmm. so. In a common sense, scandal means like, oh my goodness, I am scandalized by the thing. Oh my goodness, I can't believe this thing. That's not what the church means by scandal. So they may have been trying to cover up a publicity mess uh, and maybe on some level shocking the people. Like, I'm not going to say it was all about publicity. It was probably like the people don't need to be to hear this. Okay. Um, Even though that was an error, you can see where they're coming from in a certain sense. Scandal entices people to sin, to make sin think, to make them think that sin is okay. Mm-hmm. So, and this is, let's get on, this is a touchy subject, so let's get into another touchy subject. You wouldn't want a person to be a lector at your parish if it was known that they were married and uh, divorced and remarried without an annulment. Why? Because it seems like the church is saying it's okay because we're putting this person up in front. We're giving them a liturgical role, even though they've committed this public sin. 
not a private, it's a public one. And that gives the message that this is an okay thing to do. You see how that works, mm-hmm. right? That's scandal. That's That scandalizes the people of God. Yeah. Whereas what some of the bishops may be worried about is shock, yeah. right? Or the image, the public image of the church. Mm-hmm. Right? Or the public image of yeah. the church, right? That it would, it would impede the ability for the church to do certain works or something like that. So mm-hmm. that's not, yeah, it's not the, yeah, it's a different form of scandal. So that's, that's the key of it. Yeah. So, uh, and also by revealing the truth that is due to people, that can't be a sin. Right. Like if someone deserves to hear this truth now, then revealing it to them, while it may be shocking, while it may be difficult, it can't be a sin. Right. Now you have to do that in a pastoral way. You know, it can be, it could be. A sin of omission to just drop this on someone and not be with them, suffer with them, walk with them. Okay, but I don't see how a truth that's owed to people um, could possibly be a sin. So those are the two definitions of scandal. I hope that helps. Yeah. It's a good question. And, you know, and, yeah. I, yeah. I was gonna say the only little thing I'd add there too is then you also yeah. have to then make a difference, a distinction between God's. Like I think we 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 don't make a, there's a theological distinction about God's will. Right. Mm-hmm. There's this active yeah. will and this passive will. And I think right. we just always presume God's will is something active. So we, and so it's not like I do not in any way, shape or form think that God's active will was involved here at all. Right. Yeah. His passive will is obviously at work here. Now that's that, it, that can be a difficult thing to understand. Why isn't God sure. intervening, et cetera. Um, and, and that is part of the problem of suffering, which maybe could be an episode one day, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, we it wasn't he wasn't actively trying to intend, and also the bishops have their own free will. He has to they ha, and and God respects the use of free will quite radically, actually. Yeah. And so it's not like we're we can't be puppets that God can just say snap. Okay, I will this. You're gonna do it. Yeah. Um, there has to be an openness because if any bishop who is open to God's will would want to reveal the truth, mm-hmm. you know, you want to keep the best of any any harmed parties in, in mind, but right. when you're doing that, but a, a bishop who, who has desires God's active will, which is holiness would reveal the truth. Yeah. And so in the end it becomes sin in that you're opposing God's will. Right. Because you're doing yeah. something that impedes holiness. Right. So good question, mm-hmm. despite my snark. And uh, I hope that is helpful. Yeah. All right. So I don't have a theological emergency. I have more of a, a question that's been noodling about in my brain, which I would like to discuss with the good Father Harrison in this week's Presbyteral Exhortations. And now it is time for Presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Oh. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn oh, 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 it's my favorite part. Oh, it's oh, the best oh, oh, part. Oh, 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 Yes, yes, quite. Yes, right. Harrison, I was, I'm, I, one of the churches I am at is St. Bernard's Church. Um, they call it St. Bernard's. I've only heard him pronounce St. Bernard of Clairvaux. How mm-hmm. do you pronounce his name? Uh, I'd probably do the more anglicized version. So I was like, if I was like in like French, French area, I'd say St. Bernard, but, yeah. um, and I, I think I, yeah, it's interesting. When I pronounce the name, usually I would say Bernard, but I think when yeah. I say it as a parish, I'd say like, uh, Bernard, like you just said. Yeah. Yeah. It's so that's always confused my brain. A bit of both. Anywho. And, and, and so anyway, I'm reading, I'm reading, uh, this little book I got from my Mariology class. It's, it's four homilies in praise of the Blessed Virgin by St. Uh, Bernard of Clairvaux. 
And I'm just going to flip it open. Just a little spiritual reading, you know. Reading about Mary, it seems nice. Reading the introduction, something I try to do more now uh, that I'm an adult and reading books. I feel like I, I should read introductions now. And found it very interesting because the you know editor was making this comment that these are different kinds of homilies. They're homilies you don't hear so much anymore. Mm-hmm. They're homilies in a certain genre, and that genre is of praise. Mm-hmm. Where... The medieval mind kind of presumes that there's already a relationship with God mm-hmm. in the listener. And so the focus is less on this kind of charismatic or inspiring faith, but just to elevate the faith uh, by giving a homily of praise. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about that because sometimes this hits me. Like there, especially for Marian feast days or like kind of big feast days, like the Blessed Trinity or uh, the Body and Blood of Christ. I get a little stuck on my homily mm-hmm. uh, because of how a homily is quote unquote supposed to be. Um, because very often when you hear people compliment a homily, they might say something like, you know, Father, that really connected with my life. I like mm-hmm. how you connect the gospel with my life, right? Uh, or you'll hear in homilics advice that you have to make it, um, what does it mean for them? Like, what, sh- what should they do? What does it mean for them connected to their life? This sort of thing. But these homilies are just saying, you know how cool the Blessed Virgin Mary is? She is super cool. This is how cool she is. She's cool for this reason and this scripture and this scripture. And isn't it great that God gave her this thing? And that's the whole homily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that well, kind of even, thinking, they're, they're more sermons yeah. too, right? Like, Right. Uh, which is, you know, for those who a homily is a direct reflection on the text of the day or the feast of sure. the day. Well, right. a sermon can be on anything you want at any time. And, and, and uh, the homily on a Sunday mass is a, a recent rediscovery. Yes. So, I mean, that being said, yeah, like yeah. So the actual historical reason for this book is that basically St. Bernard had some time and he had been thinking about the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so he wrote down these homilies because he's like, mm-hmm. I want to do this because it's not going to harm anyone. It'll be good for my piety. And if you like it, it's great. Yeah. It was kind of just like a thing he wanted to do. But they were in the genre, in the format of a sermon or a homily. You know, the book says homilies. Who knows how? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're paying attention to that distinction. Anyways. And that got me thinking, Harrison. About a lot of things about preaching. And it got me wondering, like, do we ma- is there a danger in making homilies too utilitarian? Mm-hmm. In the sense that if everyone's looking at what this means for me, there's a certain danger in that. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's something actually just good with praise. Because actually... Praise is too- useless. <laughs> because praise is useless. It has it no not, utility. Yes. It's not for something else. It's for its, it's own just, sake. It's for its own sake. It's leisure. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Yes. No, this is all yeah. right. This is all <laughs> bobbling around in my head. Because now I think you, I think every parish has parishioners where you just, if you give a bomb homily on the Blessed Virgin Mary talking about how awesome she is, you would have some people just floating away from mass thinking like, yeah, I love Mary. This is wonderful. Right. But I think you might have a lot of people who are like, okay, so that's Mary. I'm not Mary. Yeah. What about me? What about me? Yeah. Uh, so dance for me priest (laughs) so okay so there's a good there's something good about desiring uh to for for the scripture to mean something for your life yep 
it's good when you're like, okay, I want to know what I should do because part of what it means to give a homily, to preach, I'm going to use the word preaching, okay? okay? To preach, one of the things that preaching should do is impel the will toward good works. Mm-hmm. One of the things, yeah? So that's good. They want to know, okay, what do I do? Or a lot of us are just very unfamiliar, maybe through no fault of our own, of the life and times of Jesus Christ, the historical context, what this means theologically. Maybe you're not familiar with the Old Testament and everything that's being revealed in the Gospels, and you want to know, okay, what does this mean, right? That's good. That's a good desire. But it can turn the homily into something about you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So those are first thoughts. I'm going to try to keep... This has just been noodling around my mind. I'm going to do a Father Harrison and process some stuff. Any any thoughts so far, Father Harrison? Yes. you. Uh, I, I hate pragmatic homilies. Mm-hmm. I hate them with a passion for this reason, for everything you're speaking. We are very um, utility-based culture. And I think so recognizing that there has to be some of that in a homily just because if you're going to get them to work up towards praise, yeah. you need to take their hand and, and walk them along there. Um, but yes, we are like, actually it was very interesting. I was on the, uh, Katie McGrady show today on Sirius XM about the book. And she goes, you make it very Name dropper. Cl- yes. You make <laughs> it very clear in the book that this is not a how to with regards to the sacramental worldview. I said, yes, yeah. because we need a more contemplative stance in the world, a more Marian stance, if you will. Ooh. Um, mm, um, where we just simply receive and praise. Right. This is this uh, which needs silence. It needs. It simply rejoices in it for its own sake. So when we when we're looking for something utility based in in, a, in preaching, what what happens is we actually do not see the liturgy for what it is. Because again, liturgy itself is useless. Mm-hmm. Right. It 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 bears fruit, but not of our own work. Of it's of God's work, and it's not really for our own sake. We don't go to mass for us. We go to mass to worship God. Well, let me rephrase that. We go to mass to be lifted up into Jesus's worship of the Father, right? Mm-hmm. This is the whole nature of the church. So yeah. preaching needs to build up contemplation and to show delight and joy in the thing itself for its own sake. And so I, like, honestly, my homilies tend this way. I hate partially because I think pragmatism is a evil in the world that needs to be destroyed utterly. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, um, swing that pendulum all the way to yes. the other side. Father but <laughs> I think we need to develop contemplatives again and to show people that liturgy and the whole of liturgy, including preaching is there simply to delight. And so when it comes to like, so it's why it's the same reason I hate the whole thing. Like, let's explain all the history behind scripture and, and, and like all the historical critical stuff at a homily, which people love. And I get like, there is, again, there's something to delight in that itself. Yes, absolutely. But what, what are we teaching people about the scriptures then about their spiritual sense, right? Mm-hmm. When there's a spiritual sense there, what it does, it inflames the heart with love, which inspires it to go out and to do right. But the homily isn't there to do to give you the ta- the tips on what to do the homily is there to f- inflame the heart with love for christ and to encounter mm-hmm. him through his word that is being preached to you and so it's all about encounter with the person of jesus which yeah. then like we were just with that phone call what saint anthony do he encountered christ in through his, the word of scripture he heard him speak to him and he went out and did something out of love that's what all preaching should be it doesn't need to give a tip because 
here's the other thing. What Joe Smith needs to hear for their, what they need to do in their life is very different than when Jane Smith needs to do in her life. Mm-hmm. So you can't give practical, I mean, you can't really give all those practical tips because they're not going to work for everyone. Mm-hmm. But you can inflame everyone's heart around the same truth. Right. The same reality. But even, so there's that, right? That mm-hmm. real utilitarian. But I'm also thinking about like going into the homily. I think this is a subtle dis- distinction, maybe. Like going to homily, like, what can I get out of this homily? Mm-hmm. It's the same. Yeah, it's the same mentality. Right. It's a little bit different because what you can get might not be utilitarian and like it might not like tell you what to do, but you're, you're the homily. Okay. So I've been reading a book on preaching. It was published in 1955 by a um, Thomist and it's called uh, Unless They Be Sent. Hmm. And I'll get the name of it. And made a point that kind of blew my mind that I didn't. Okay, so Father Harrison, mm-hmm. you're a Thomist now. What's the end of preaching? That's actually a good question. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, it should be, honestly, it should be, it's kind of almost a twofold end, I would say, because there's two ends. There's Because mm-hmm. it's got two objects. Mm-hmm got god and the people present so it should be both praise and an inflaming of love in the heart of the hearer all right that's pretty good uh so what this guy says is uh the end of preaching is the glory of god yeah right okay and the glory of god is man fully alive right right exactly <laughs> and so so yeah. the way that god is glorified is by uh, the conversion of sinners or uh, the exactly. holiness of the person, right? Yep. Right? Yep. Uh, it's exactly that. But just that phrasing, the end of preaching, and by end, if you don't listen to our podcast a lot, it's the kind of the purpose, what preaching is headed toward. Everything has an end. Everything yeah. kind of has it's a goal. purpose. It's goal. It's goal. It's goal. Goal is a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. And I had never heard it phrased that way. Yeah, I haven't either. The, That's why I was like, oh, I've never actually thought of that. The end of preaching is, is the glory yeah, of God. What is the purpose of preaching? Hold on a second. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I, I like to do it. I like talking. Um, <laughs> And that was just a mind sh- change for me. It's like, it's one of the things that been doing around my brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he talks about, so it's a book on the theology of preaching, mm-hmm. which is fascinating to me. Cause that's not something that we really studied in seminaries, like how to oh, really? preach. Yeah. Oh, but I not like my homiletics class was mostly theory. It's, it's yeah. theology. It was theology. Yeah. Which was nice. So this is like this is a book about preaching, qua preaching, very Thomistic, but also he'll mm-hmm. he'll quote some Franciscans. He's mentioned Bernard and a few other people. And it's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's very good, mm-hmm. um, and it's out of publication. Um, so if you find a copy and just want to send it to me, that's okay. But that lined up with the idea of praise. But also, okay, so I'm gonna do another thing. Okay, I might regret it. Father Harrison, mm-hmm. praising God isn't for you, right? But it does do something good for you. Yep. Because praise is what we'll be doing in heaven. Right? Mm-hmm. So praise, I mean, um, and I, I tried to preach about this a little bit, because I, I talked a little bit about this in one of my homilies about something. Um, because by giving God what is his due, you are entering properly into the order of creation. Mm-hmm. You are made to love God and be loved by him. Yeah. And so here's where like praise, where worship, they're kind of 
different, similar, interrelated ways. Like this is your love for God. And there's something about praise that lifts up the soul by forgetting yourself. Um, that God doesn't need the praise, but one is his due and also ends up being good for you. And so the example I use, and you can tell me if it was a bad example. I use the example of my perfect, uh, beautiful niece, Indiana. Mm-hmm. Producer Indiana. Sorry, didn't mean to. Yes, and, you. and also guest host. Remember? And also guest host coming up soon. No, she was on. Uh, Obviously, she, oh yeah, she was. To, she was. I did listen to that. To the Nick episode. I listened. I listened. She wasn't super talkative in the beginning. No, she was. Which is the only part I listened to. I didn't listen to the whole thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I was sick with the COVID. I didn't yes, want to listen yes, to anybody. It's all good. <laughs> Anywho, okay. Anyways. So Indiana, she is praised all the time. And I'll be honest, she's adorable. She's not even very talented. Doesn't have a lot of skills. But you look at this little baby's face, and you can't help but be like, you have the perfect little toes. Oh, she's smiling. Oh, did she toot? Oh, my goodness. Does that feel better, Indiana? Like, just praising this no matter what she does, right? And by praising, you end up loving her more because you're contemplating her beauty. That the heart is being lifted out in love in a natural sense for this human being. Mm-hmm. And the same thing happens by praising God. And this is why even, even though it can feel uh, counterintuitive when you're not in a praiseworthy mood, if you will, if you're cranky, that praise can be a remedy for the darkness of the heart. Mm-hmm. Because you end up contemplating, entering more and more into the realization of who God is as he is. Yep. And you are freed from the desire to judge God by what he gives you. So whether or not you're suffering now or you're joyful now, whatever it is, those questions cease to matter because you're caught up in who God is and it offers freedom of the heart Mm -hmm. in the same way that when I'm sad, in a a different way, an analogous way, when I'm sad, I pull up a picture of my niece and I am less sad because look at the baby, (laughs) look at the baby, right? Mm -hmm. It's a free experience. Now, the key, I think, to this is a few things because... One, how well does the... Okay, okay, so how does preaching work? How is the well, soul... Can I, can I jump in quickly? Jump in, yeah, sorry. Go sorry. ahead, go jump in. Just, yeah. uh, you know, what you're, when you're saying all this, what, what's coming to my mind is um, St. Ignatius' principle and foundation, mm. right? Man mm. is created to praise, reverence, and serve God our Lord, and by this means save his soul. And the other things on the face of the earth are created for man and that they may help, and that they may help him in prosecuting the end for which he is created mm-hmm. what's his end what's his goal what's his purpose to praise reverence and serve god our lord yeah and everything else in the world is for that purpose to help us and so for him again it goes that one ought to you know seek sickness or riches or any of those things it doesn't matter you'll take whatever you can as long as it helps you get to that goal mm-hmm. and, and this is the thing this is the whole point and, and that liturgy itself is a hint of what heaven is if you're bored at mass, I have bad news for you about heaven, folks. <laughs> because here's the good news. I mean, this is also the beautiful news. Heaven's already present in a mysterious way through the liturgy. Yeah. And so we need to attune our eyes and our hearts to a receptive, contemplative stance whereby we simply receive. Because what happens when you receive a gift? You rejoice. You sing praises. You're grateful. You want to just give thanks to the person. And I think this is it. We go to Mass wanting to get utility out of the homily. We want to get something out of the beauty of the Mass. And we forget the real purpose that we are there for. Simply 
to share in Jesus's worship of the Father, which is a praise. If the second person, the Holy Trinity, the Son of God, desires to praise the Father, blessed, you know, John 17, yeah. the high priestly yeah. prayer, mm-hmm. who are we to not do that? So right. I think this is the thing. We don't actually go to Mass with gratitude because mm-hmm. we don't actually realize we received a gift. And so preaching ought to help that. And I think, so it has, there's always a practical thing to it, but it's not, it's not the primary purpose. So preaching can help with that, but we need to attune our hearts and our minds to stop saying, what am I going to get out of this? And saying, yeah, I, yeah, Mary is blessed because she bore Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. Yes. Blessed is she. Yes. Yes. Amen. Yeah. (laughs) Hallelujah, Uh, brother. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um so i'm just gonna keep throwing out preaching thoughts that mm-hmm. have been noodling around my head okay so um if if uh the glory of god is the end of preaching that's done by the salvation of souls does preaching save souls yes okay so is preaching the cause no of souls being the, saved it's, it's the instrument it's instrument. Well, and specifically, this guy's saying is it's it's to create a disposition. Yeah. Uh, primarily by proposing that which should be believed. Mm-hmm. So primarily by proposing that which should be believed, and by believing that, then the will is moved. So by moving the intellect, you end up moving the will. So that's that's the idea. Mm-hmm. So um, let's see. Um, so when I, when a priest tells you doctrine what the faith is one to receive that you have to have the gift of faith mm-hmm. to be open to it but then by proposing it it creates a disposition in you where you're more open to have god be the one to save your soul by increasing your faith mm-hmm. see how it works so mm-hmm. like it's really um and he talks about this like so the first preachers were dumb fishermen mm-hmm. to remind everyone that it's God is the one who saves souls. So you could be the most excellent um, rhetorician um, in the world, but that does not mean that you'll save any less souls than the dumb, faithful priest. Mm-hmm. Now, he does say things like, you know, uh, learning can be helpful, uh, but you should be very careful about it. Aquinas says this, like Aquinas is all about, you know, it's important to learn your philosophy and stuff, but when it comes to preaching, it's like, be careful with it mm-hmm. um, because you don't want to make faith seem like something that you can come to on your own or mm-hmm. grasp through pure philosophy and that sort of thing as much mm-hmm. as aid. So uh, a good way to use historical critical stuff in preaching is if by me explaining the historical context, you get a deeper understanding of what Christ is doing mm-hmm. and you're in more in awe of what he's doing. Mm-hmm then that's a good help for you to enter into this supernatural thing that's going on. Mm-hmm. So that's how intellect and learning should be used. Um, he says another thing um, that I, and this is like when he's saying these things, he's quoting Albert the Great, Aquinas, Bonaventure. These are kind of the big names he keeps going back Just, to. Just, you know, a few. Just few, a few. You few know. footnotes of history. Exactly. Um, how, what's the, um, how should one preach as far as the manner of the preacher like the disposition of the preacher as you're saying your tone of voice in general for the most part how should you be preaching any guesses oh you're asking me sorry yeah um you see that's what i've always found interesting i have right it was a challenge for me too well no because i have two minds of it really okay um one is 
you know, there's kind of the Newman approach where he actually, I mean, he actually even kind of dumbed things down a lot when he became yeah. a Catholic priest and very, kind of, apparently very dry personality is out yeah. and out the window. Yeah. But I think, cause it was interesting, you talked about moving the intellect and the will, but mm-hmm. there's also about moving the affective side of the soul as well. Yeah. And I think that requires a certain, emo- there needs to be emotional appeal as well, mm-hmm. which means yeah. touching the heart, which means creating a personal encounter. So like, I, I it's a bit of both, I think in, yeah. my, in my mind, but I know he's so not going to agree with me. Yeah. With, what does he say? Dominican says, um, tranquility. He doesn't say, he's saying like Thomas Aquinas, yeah. people are saying a attitude of tranquility. Okay. And I was thinking about that. And so I can be very animated as anyone who listens to this podcast for more than one episode can find out, um, you know, uh, and I can get fired up. I can get angry. Uh, but what, I was thinking about this, like some of my homilies where I felt most spirit led, I was tranquil. Hmm. Like, uh, it doesn't mean, I I mean, I said things passionately, but not out of anger. I said things lovingly, but not out of like a forgetting myself, being wrapped up in my own stuff or whatever, you know? Um, I think some of the times I've made errors is when I let my emotions get the better of me. Now, it might make for a, a great spectacle. Mm-hmm. You know, people might come away saying, wow, that was that was great. That was great. But is that all they came away with? Right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's interesting because he quotes like, you know, he talks about, um, well, Jesus Christ, you know, was angry when he drove the money changers. He goes, yeah, but he wasn't acting as a preacher in that moment. He was acting as Lord and Master. Right. The thing is, we don't actually really know what the effective side here's the because here's count also said, true that's a good said, point said contra to this too Fulton yeah. Sheen who even when he preached he you know rhetoric actually really emphasizes the importance of of opening the heart of your audience yeah right which means using things like like affectivity is and he the, was is the gateway is the gateway and that's and Augustine did this like so mm-hmm. this is where I'd be like eh, it's I get where this is coming from but especially in such an emotional age where affectivity almost takes over mm-hmm. again, it becomes a bit of an entry point. Yeah. Yeah. You soften the heart of it. it. Yeah. Which I'm not totally disagreeing with you. Yeah. I'm just like, yeah, even Fulton Sheen. Yeah. Like he would get into these big talking about and God, blah, blah, blah. But he would use that very prudently. It wouldn't be the whole homily. Right. It wouldn't be the whole talk. Oh no, no, exactly. No, but that's right? the point of rhetoric, right? Rhetoric. Right. Um, Reddick has this is the whole it's supposed to build you up it says okay we're gonna get here we're gonna you know i'm gonna and often it for rhetoric for him was always a joke that pokes fun at himself yes uh he has to be the butt of the joke because it tells people i don't take myself too seriously Mm -hmm. and that opens your audience so much and then you just kind of you make your points you make your points and then you kind of culminate it you summarize you bring and you bring it all to its final culmination with a big dramatic flair yeah but all of that appeals like we should like we gotta be careful when we making distinctions of making separations intellect sure. will and affectivity are always being played at all at once all the time yeah yeah absolutely um also uh, a little a little sad note was and he doesn't explain this which i wish he did because he just quotes saying uh, aquinas saying that levity is not proper to the preacher and i was like oh hmm. <laughs> Hmm. but i think i think levity or humor and i I realize this in my own preaching i use it far less than i did my first few years yes absolutely i do too i don't use it as much anymore 
uh, a lot of times when it happens, it's because I don't preach with notes yeah. and something will strike me and I can't stop myself, but then yeah. I get back onto the venue. Yeah. Uh, or for me, it's uh, just like, and again, it's usually almost always poking fun at myself. Right. Right. It's like, which yep, can be helpful. And I realize I preached too long. I'm sorry. You know, it's like, okay. yep. But let's back off of this book okay. and my thoughts about the book. Okay. Father Harrison, I'm tired of preaching charisma, uh, charismatic homilies. Mm-hmm. I think almost every Sunday homily in some level has been charismatic, uh, charismatic okay. which is... Uh, repent and believe. Ca- repent and believe, but just kind of proposing the basic truths of the gospel. Yep. And because, you know, I listen to podcasts and people like, it has to be char- charismatic, 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 mm-hmm. And I get that, but something about it was starting to feel dry for me, and yep. that might be a bunch of different things. Uh, who knows what that is? Let's not judge it good or bad yet, but just a thing I was feeling. And I was talking to my, uh, the other priests in our group, uh, in our parish, as we were driving down to D.C., and one of the guys was like, you know, we've got a lot of parishioners who are ready to go deep with stuff. Like, you can here. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's the Lord kind of prompting me to, I think, I'll, you know, because you get all kinds of people who come to Mass, all kinds of people, right? Uh, but it made me realize the importance of ever being attuned to the audience that's in front of you. Mm-hmm. And it can be very easy because I have this thing I've done. I've gotten in a groove of what I can do well. And I've been coasting a little bit in my preaching in that. Because I can give a bomb charismatic homily. But maybe I need to be more open listening to the Lord in my preparation for the homily. And be like, you can go deep on this issue in the spiritual life. Or you can go deeper on this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's such a temptation in when you're either learning how to preach or getting like no one bit of advice works all the time for everyone. Mm-hmm. And you can get people suggesting things that for very good reasons are very passionate about like, this is what you have to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure we all had people who are like, you have to make three points and it's like, okay, that's good advice, but you always drop structure. You always drop advice when the spirit is moving you to do so. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the preacher has to be ever listening to the spirits, paying attention to his audience, to his people and be willing to change that. I want to put this, I, I don't disagree with you about the charismatic stuff. I think part of it is like, or let me rephrase this. I think the charismatic thing is not wrong. It's right. It's, but I think you're right that it ought not to, because again, it, it almost even plays into that kind of functionalist mindset in a way. Mm-hmm. I got to do this so that this result can happen. Yes. Right? Yeah. And yeah. and we got to be careful about that. And when it's just kerygma, 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 we again forget uh, the Holy Spirit is at work here too, folks. You never know mm-hmm. how he's going to work. Um, so, yeah. And it's a bit of an experiment over time. And it, So I think prayer is so important in preaching. And there are times, I'll be honest, like, especially like weekday masses, it's like, you know, whatever. Sometimes there's prep. A little bit of prayerful prep. Sometimes there's not. You just right. it's, it's it's it. You don't even have to preach during weekdays, right? Yeah. Um, but for weekends, we really, you know. And I'll be honest, like there are days, there are times where things just there's so many there's deaths and sick calls and emergencies in the parish that the extra time of prayer set aside to prepare for a homily sometimes does have to get pushed aside because when someone's dying, that is more important. Um, but that prayerful preparation allows you to it's a it's a twofold discernment of the spirit's movement in your heart of what to say but also what you to hear in the scriptures and to say and to comment on yeah. but then also what is on the hearts of the people you're preaching to mm-hmm. right and 
it is and when you can start to appreciate that and think about that more um you start to realize that kerygma doesn't always need to be preached because like here's the other thing you can only say it so the same same thing so many ways once like there's only so many times you can say the same thing i should say sorry yeah right and repent and believe it's like and it's listen because they're gonna be there's all because guess what folks there's also the judgment if someone mm-hmm. who's going to mass every sunday refuses to hear that phrase that that preaching that's not on you that's on them no it's not and yeah. we have to learn to be okay with that we can't can we it's not up to us to convert every heart so we need to yeah we do need to find things and like i like for myself actually it was interesting i did a homily couple last week or no two weekends ago i guess now i it was on the second was on charisms and mm-hmm. it was kind of actually also providentially timed because Sunday we're doing Vespers and I do a little half hour sermon on different nice. catechetical topics. This one's going to be on yeah. char- discerning charisms. So I gave nice. them, the, but there was no pragmatic stuff. It was like, what is a charism? Yeah. Uh, why are they important? Um, and um, why, and also kind of prick, pricking away at the one person can't do everything. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And that we need to give space for other charisms to arise anyways. But I said, what are the list of charisms? How do you discern them? How do you act on them? I said, you have to come to the Vespers. <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> this isn't the place for it. But so many people are like, oh, I didn't even know what a charism was. I even heard the word before. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, this is like essential to living our faith as Catholic. This is actually going to be a podcast topic for me one day. So don't worry. Cool. You, guys, you guys are going to get the Vespers talk one night. But, um, <laughs> but, but this is but it was just so cool to hear it it wasn't practical it was in, it was informative maybe but it, it opened their hearts and it was like okay yeah they're they're being fed in different ways yeah. and we just need to do that and and also i but i agree with the, the original point that when we started off with like we also just need to feed them and learn how to praise so they, again there is like a doing element yeah but it's it comes from a different stance yes exactly yeah so i mean we're coming we're coming to the end of our time here um i hope that at the very least uh, a peek behind the the screen a little bit of like uh priests do think about preaching and what we're trying to do and we're continuing to grow in that and maybe you have your own thoughts too and if you have any questions hey we we, we got a hotline um, oh, what's the phone number for that hotline don't know because we need to give it we listen we, we i know the we cont- do have to give it we dropped the contest earlier we uh all this stuff we kind of uh, have to does nick, does nick name it say the number in his in I the for, bumper i forget me too i remember the bumper's jamming it's jamming right. it's always jamming twitter let's look up clerically speaking we gotta put this in the script now there you go i'll copy and paste it for our script in uh so if you have a uh, you know questions comments about preaching uh you know uh we got some uh some voicemails from some seminarians that we'll try to get to eventually as well. Uh, but anywho, the number is 412-912-7995. 412-912-7995. And that's uh, all I got. Uh, so I guess the big takeaways from my brain recently are the end of preaching is the glory of God. Amen. And I think that's going to just subtly change the way I prepare my homily. Yeah. I got, uh, he has I all sorts of beautiful things about like every preacher should see a crowd of people and be inflamed with love for them. You know, there's a lot of good stuff I've been thinking about, but uh, that was, I guess, the main phrase that made me think about that. Cool. So, cool. There you go. Nice. Thank you for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me thinking about preaching. You can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. 
contact the podcast and receive updates at Clerical Pod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. If you have a quote-unquote theological emergency, please call this number, 412-912-7995. That's 412-912-7995. Please note that no actual emergencies should be sent via this. We might not even get to it. Call your parish priest if you have a sacramental emergency. Uh, and also know that uh, if you send this in, uh, the podcast drops on Friday, the best sacramental one that we get will uh, get a book. Right, Harrison? They get a free book signed by me. Awesome. So, peace. God bless you.